Thank you for joining me for 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 21. We are going to be looking at qualities that Peter says that we need to add to our faith. I'm glad you're joining me. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 21. In this passage, Peter describes seven qualities, facets of Christ's divine nature that he says are to shine brightly in our life. They are what identify us as distinctly His. They are what points others to Christ. What are they? Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Sounds like Christ, doesn't it? But before getting into these, let me ask you, are you familiar with the words, Houston, we have a problem, spoken by Jack Swigert during the 1970 Apollo 13 spaceflight? He said those words after an explosion occurred on board the spacecraft when they were en route to the moon. His words were a great understatement. Their lives were at stake. The mission had to be aborted. God we have a problem aptly applies to Christians if we live by our fallen sin nature that Peter addressed last week instead of the divine nature God has given us. Christ's mission for us is to be his, be his ambassadors, and that mission is being aborted when we live by our fallen human nature. Our lives relating to the world that there is a glorious God and Savior doesn't happen if Christ's character isn't shining through us. Christian, we have a problem. There were signs that Apollo 13 had a malfunction, and there are seven evidences of a malfunction in the believer's life when we aren't living by Christ's divine nature. What are they? First, we slip in regard to moral excellence, the way that we know Christ calls us to live. Another evidence of a malfunction in our spiritual life is lack of intimacy with Jesus. A third is self-indulgence, or you may say lack of self-control. A fourth way that there is a signal that we have a malfunction is we give up. We stop short of God's calling. A fifth is when we're ungodly, we lack intimate worship and daily devotion to God. It's reflected in our relationships. A sixth way that we indicate a malfunction in our spiritual life is when we're unkind. And a seventh is we lack godly love for those closest to us and we lack love for the unsaved. Houston, we have a problem. God, we have a problem. What can we do? In verses 5 through 11, Peter tells us what we can do. We must quickly add seven characteristics of Christ's divine nature to our faith. He tells us why it is so important for us to add them. Then, in verses 12 through 15, Peter explains that he is reminding them because he's about to die, and it's important to remember to live by the divine nature. In verses 16 through 21 of chapter 1, Peter affirms that what he is teaching them is God-breathed, just like prophecy. It's inspired. And so, because it is, we are to pay attention to his God-inspired words. As we begin this vitally important lesson, we must remember the distinctions in the believer's two natures. And as a crew for Apollo 13 listened to and followed mission control's instructions in order to safely get to Earth, 
believers must listen to and follow heaven's mission control instructions as we go to heaven on our way. What solution does God offer for our malfunctioning human nature that negatively affects relationships, causes us to be stressed, insecure, and unhappy, among other things, as we fly through our day? Christ in you. Our mission control states, Christ in you. Colossians 1.20 says, that is our hope of glory. That is God supplying believers with his divine nature and his divine power, as Philippians 4.19 tells us. Let's look at the seven qualities of Christ's nature that he supplies and that we must add to our faith according to today's passage. But before we do, you may have a question. Us adding something to our faith, isn't that works salvation? No. We can do nothing to save ourselves, but once we are saved through faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us we have a responsibility to add to our faith. Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who is at work in you through the divine nature. Work it out, live it out, live out Christ's character. And to top it off, if we are to live Christ's divine nature, not in our own strength, but rather through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, then we do have to give attention to it. I like Oswald Chambers' statement regarding this. He says, we are made partakers of the divine nature through the promises. Then we have to manipulate the divine nature in our human nature by habits. And the first habit is to form the habit of realizing the provision God has made. Isn't that great? We are made partakers of the divine nature through the promises. Then we have to manipulate, or you might say massage, whatever word you would use, that divine nature in our human nature by habits. And the first habit is to form the habit of realizing the provision God has made, his spiritual power given to us. So let's read 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11 and learn, or if you already know them, then review the seven characteristics of Christ's divine nature. We are to quickly, the scripture says, add to our faith. Would you join me beginning in verse 5? Now, for this very reason also, supplying all diligence to your faith, add knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Verse 7, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Verse 8, for if if, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into our eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Verse 5 
tells us the first quality we can add to our faith. Faith is the foundation. But then the scripture says we must add. And then when he says this, it means begin to do it right now because we do already have the faith. So now we must quickly add. And he says in verse five, moral excellence. Uh, do you kind of get squimish when you hear that? The Greek word for moral excellence means a virtuous course of thought, feeling, action. It means virtue, moral goodness. We know God's moral standards is revealed in the Ten Commandments, and certainly you and I wouldn't find any fault with them. Jesus expounds on them in the Sermon on the Mount. Sexual sin must stop among believers. Lying must stop. That's not something we as believers are to do if we're going to reflect Christ's ways. Habitually craving what others have, that must stop being covetous. Harboring hatred must stop. Not honoring our parents needs to stop. Stealing, not paying our bills, that must stop. Putting God on the back burner, taking his name in vain, those are not things that Christians are to do. Believers are to add moral excellence to our faith. The principle we see is we are to apply to our lives the moral excellence of Christ who lives within us. Let me give you an example. When I first began shopping for oil or cream for my face, I took it home, but it doesn't do enough if I take it home and I don't apply it. In the same way, if we want our character, our, our lives to be more excellent, then we must apply what God has provided for us. It does no good to just sit in the Bible. He has supplied His divine nature, made possible through the cross, the shed blood of Jesus. And so Peter says, apply Christ's moral excellence, add it to your faith. Next, in verse 6, he says we are to add knowledge, and this is the Greek word gnosis. It means we are to know Jesus and his teachings experiential, experientially. Excuse me. We are to know his teachings experientially. We are to have biblical wisdom that is made evident by our lives and right living. For instance, when we learn that we are to be morally excellent, we may feel overwhelmed knowing that is not our nature. We may know that we don't have the capability to be morally excellent. That's where knowledge comes in. We need to know the scripture that we studied last week, 1 Peter 1, 3, that we have Christ's divine power in us. And so then we act on it, we apply it, we pray for Christ the supply and the supplier, the grantor to fill us and live his life through us. No doubt this is why Peter says to add experiential knowledge. Head knowledge is only the first step. Adding experiential knowledge to our faith means that we perceive God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through our senses as we yield our lives to them. It means we have an active, personal relationship with God, the divine. We are to know what the Bible teaches, yes, but then we are to live it out through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who is in us. Let me give you another example, for instance, if we have a problem with someone, we know what to do because we've studied the Bible, hopefully. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, first, take the log out of our own eye 
And so we do that. We prayerfully go before God and examine ourselves to see if there is any fault in us. We confess any sin. We act on the word. Then and only then can we go with a humble heart to the person that we've had a problem with. And we pray, Lord, speak through me. We understand there's a difference in our human temperament and God's temperament. So we add knowledge to our faith, and then we add moral character. And then to that we add, as it says in verse 6, self-control, which is a virtue of somebody who masters their desires and passions, specifically their sensual ones. Now, New Year's resolutions prove that we have a problem with self-control, eating, drinking, drugs, swearing, sex, and the list goes on. We need a new nature to be able to add self-control to our faith. Houston, we have a problem. Our human nature lacks self-control. So what are we to do? Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but grace. There we have it. You and I are to be under the divine influence of the Holy Spirit. Sin shall not be master. Christ is to be master over us, not the sin. Do a quick check, believer. Have we added self-control to our faith? If not, we can add it through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. As we are applying self-control, the need for Christ's next character trait comes along. We see it in the word perseverance. Maybe we start well but then we want to quit. I'm tired of forgiving this person. I'm tired of struggling to eat healthy. I can't keep from going back to that porn site. So Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 6, add, that word also means supply, perseverance. The Greek word is from two words that mean under, and it also means and is associated with hope. In John 15, verses 3 through 8, Jesus tells believers to abide in him, abide under the divine nature and power of Christ in you. Perseverance is described as the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. He's not going anywhere. He is going to stay true. She is going to stay true to the cause of Christ. Commentator William Barclay cites Cicero, who defines the Latin equivalent of perseverance as the voluntary and daily suffering of hard and difficult things for the sake of honor and usefulness. The voluntary and daily suffering of hard and difficult things for the sake of honor and usefulness. It does not simply mean that we accept and endure. There's always a forward look and why we are persevering. What better example of perseverance than Jesus, who Hebrews 12:2 says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
That is perseverance. His eyes were on heaven. It's abiding under, but it has an association with hope. How is your countenance as you persevere? <laughs> are we gritting our teeth, mumbling under our breath? Or are we asking the Holy Spirit, the divine supplier, to fill us as we continue on with whatever He has called us to do, or in whatever relationship He has us, or whatever ministry that we call on Him to set before us the joy that we have in heaven and obedience. Which leads to Christ's next character trait, godliness. Verse six says, add, supply, godliness. The word means reverence, piety towards God. If not to persevere, but be fuming, grumbling, mumbling, woe is me, which uh, can be a tendency. How about you? We supply ag godliness by continuing to set our mind, as with the other traits, on the things above. We love and worship Christ as we continue to serve Him. Adding godliness to our faith means we conscientiously choose to be what 2 Corinthians 2.15 describes as a fragrance of Christ to God among both believers and unbelievers. We live by the supply of Christ's nature, His Holy Spirit, so we are a godly fragrance in an ungodly world. We give the world a whiff of Christ, so hopefully they are drawn to Him. The fragrance of Christ in us rises as a sweet aroma to God in our decaying, corrupt world. How important it is that we be godly not ungodly, carnal Christians who live by our old, stinky, human, flawed nature. What's next? Verse 7 tells us we are to add brotherly kindness to our faith. This is Philadelphia. It's from two words, Phyllis for friend and Adolphus brother. In the New Testament, it is used of the love which Christians have for each other as brethren is the biblical word. It's the love of which Paul speaks in Romans 12:10 that is horizontal for others, not just vertical for God. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, the scripture says. It's the horizontal brotherly kindness expressed in Ephesians 4 verse 29 that says that we are to speak words that edify or encourage and give grace. And in Ephesians 4.32, being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. The clear teaching is we are to be brotherly kind to others, a reflection of Christ's kindness extended to us. That is so unlike the world, isn't it? with all the hostility we see on TV, with all the anger in relationships. How can we do this? Through the supply of Christ's nature in us. And lastly, would you look with me at verse 7? It says that we are to add supply love. This is agape love to our faith. It is unselfish, outgoing tenderness for another person without necessarily expecting anything in return. How common is that in the world? It's not. Unselfish, 
outgoing tenderness for another person without necessarily expecting anything in return. This agape love seeks a person's highest good on the basis of a decision of the will and an inclination of the heart. Are you about to pop? Thinking, I can't do this. If so, remember, Peter is not the only one writing these kind of words and these kinds of instructions to believers. Paul writes in Galatians 5.22 that this kind of love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not our nature, in our lives. It is through Jesus, and it's to the glory of God. Philippians 1.11 says, and Peter's first letter that he wrote in verse 22 of 1 Peter 1, he wrote, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5:44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The second commandment is we love our neighbor as ourselves. How? How do we love? How do we live by the spirit? How do we uh, get this supply of the supplier? Let me give you seven ways. Number one, first, we must recognize the distinction between the spirit and our flesh. Galatians 5, 19 and 22 will help you with that. Then we have to follow and walk by the spirit. Galatians 5 continues. Three, we must pray. Four, we have to repent when we sin. Five, of course we need to study to know God's will and ways. Six, we must submit our heart and mind to the Lordship of Christ. In other words, diligently, speedily add the supply of Christ's qualities to our faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And last seven, we have to continue to keep our eyes on the things above, not on the things of earth as Colossians 3.2 tells us. Now, in verses 8 through 11, Peter tells us four blessings of having these qualities in our life if you're not quite sold on the fact that you need to add them. So let's read together. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For it is in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied. Therefore, verse 12, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. He continues in verse 13, saying, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing 
that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And finally, in verse 15, he says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Let's stop there. Those verses are packed with knowledge. Just what Peter was saying, we need to add to our faith, right? We learn in verses 8 through 11, four blessing of, blessings of having the seven qualities in verses 5 through 7. Number one, you will be useful, friend. And number two, you will be fruitful. Let's look at that verse again. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Do you want to be a useless or a useful Christian? Do you want to be a fruitful or unfruitful Christian? And third, he says, another blessing is you won't stumble in verse 10. How many of us could say, we'd like that. We have messed up royally with some past relationships, business dealings, and personal situations in our lives. In addition, Peter's words in verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, is a command. It says, do this. And, and this is so important. He just interjects this. He says, make certain you're a Christian. Huh. He says he's writing to believers, but there might be somebody who's listening who has never personally believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says, be certain that you're a Christian or were you just raised in a Christian home? Are you a church member? That was the case with my father. He thought he was a Christian because he was a member of a church. But then through alcohol issues and gambling issues, he realized there was an eternity of difference. He wasn't a Christian. He became one. And Peter says, for you, make sure you are a Christian. Don't put this off. This is the first, the foundational step. And then he gives the fourth blessing of having these seven qualities of verses five through seven that we add to our faith. This fourth point, this fourth blessing, he says, your entrance into heaven, the eternal kingdom, will be abundantly supplied to you. We'll talk more about this in a minute, but first let's look at the warnings Peter gives us in this same passage. In verse 9, he says, He who lacks these qualities, the ones in 5 through 7, is blind or short-sighted. In other words, that person sees only the temporal, the present day. He says, they've forgotten their former purification from sins. In other words, you've forgotten that Jesus saved you. You've forgotten that you're a citizen of heaven and that your first priority is to love the Lord and be his ambassador on earth. Heaven's mission control is giving us a heads up. You've got a problem, Christian. You're going to enter heaven's atmosphere with nothing to show for your time on earth. It will all be burned up upon your entry into heaven. If you live by your birth nature, rather than to the divine nature of Christ in you. Paul warns about this in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 3. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. 
He says, now if any man builds on the foundation, referring to faith in Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he will be saved yet as through fire. What we do in our daily life on earth matters to God. Are we getting it? We are going to have different entrances into heaven. Paul says, I'm sorry, Peter says, don't be blind. Don't be short-sighted just living for today for the temporal things that are going to be burned up. Peter's giving the heads up that our days need to be about eternity, not the next meal. Now, in verses 12 through 15, when we go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter emphasizes the importance of being reminded of the truth. He says in verse 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. There he says it again. And in verse 14, he says, Why? Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to him. Jesus is still talking to Peter, and he says, I'll be diligent or be diligent any time after my departure. I want you to be able to remember these things. Peter emphasizes two important points. One, it's important to continually be in the Word so we are reminded of the truth, and we can call it to mind. And two, our body is it's just a dwelling. It's just a tent. It's a tent as we journey to heaven, the promised land, for glory awaits and we live eternally. In verses 16 through 18, Peter reaffirms his authority and his credentials for everything he is saying. Read with me in verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, I'm not making this stuff up. I was there at Christ's transfiguration. Let's keep reading verse 17. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. Don't you love the way Peter describes God the Father? Majestic glory. Peter says he heard from God the Father, the majestic glory, the words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine being there on that mountain with Jesus and hearing that from heaven? Peter says, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, I heard it. I saw it. Jesus is the real deal. You can read about Christ's transfiguration in Matthew 17 if you've never read it. It's a glorious account. But why is it important? Why is Peter bringing this up now? 
He wants us to pay attention to what he's saying, not blow it off, not breeze by it. In verses 19 through 21, Peter says to pay attention to prophecy. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place. It's not a matter of somebody's own interpretation. He says, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. In 2 Peter 1, we can identify with the words, Houston, we have a problem because we have a problem as we soar toward heaven. Our problem is our broken human nature. It is the opposite of everything that is godly and Christ-like. Do you agree? Mine sure is. Our heavenly mission control has told us today what to do. First, make sure you are truly a Christian. If you are, then apply, add, supply the divine nature to your situation. Switch from your human nature to the divine nature, and the Holy Spirit will guide you safely to heaven. If we have been blind and short-sighted, today's the day to become useful, fruitful, certain about God's calling. Today is the day to begin practicing the things the Holy Spirit is teaching us so we can be excited and sure about our entrance into heaven. Will you begin now? Some of us may be saying, I still don't get it, how? Do you remember Superman, Clark Kent? He used to switch from his suit to his Superman suit. We need to switch from our own nature to our divine nature. We do that in prayer, Lord. I recognize my human nature is defective. It falls short of your glory. Thank you for giving me your holy divine nature. Lord, add to my faith Christ's qualities and character. Fill me now with your spirit. We can pray that. You and I can live by the glorious divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will we?